Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. This, you know, the scripture I'm sharing on this morning is Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, or we are, we are his, you could, you could say we are his poetry. And, um, and I was just laugh, have laughing to myself about how much the Lord has changed me one thing I've, I've always been, now, now this, you know, my, I, I've always been, I, I guess, considered myself masculine. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not, you know, a feminine kind of guy. You know, I like to, you know, I drive, I, right now I drive a truck, I like to spit, you know, and all that kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> kind of a, kind of a masculine guy. But one of the things that, that Christianity has done and over the years, it's changed, and, and it's increased. It's, he has given me a spiritual sensitivity. I remember how hard it was at first to be, to, and it's, this, it's hard for guys. You know, you watch most, you know, churches are filled with women, especially churches like this, you know, and when, when guys are terrified to express themselves, to say, I love you, I'm sorry, you know, I need you, things like that are tough for guys to say. Or things like, you know, to receive things like, I'm his work of art. <laughs> I'm his poetry. You know, and, and those, the Holy Ghost, I've, I've come to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit is the feminine part of the, of the Holy Trinity. He's like the, 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 Christ is like the masculine part and the Holy Ghost. Now you might throw me, start throwing rocks at me and call me a blasphemer, but it's like the Holy Ghost. It's like the, and, and when you start getting in touch with the Holy Spirit, he starts to open up your sensitivity. And this, you know, this continued. And, you know, 1994, one of the things that happened to me with the revival is I started to be, you know, consumed with the, with the teachings of Jonathan Edwards. I love his, his work. And and his, his church was the epicenter for the Great Awakening. It was a place of revival. It was a place of God's visitation. And there's another part of his story that most people don't know about, but he was raised in a family with ten sisters. He had ten sisters. He was affected by a lot of sensitivity in his house. And you start reading his, 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 his favorite book. To, to, you know, everyone thinks of him as the angry guy, sinners in the hands of an angry God. But if you look at his sermons, most, if you pick the book that the majority or the most of any other book of his sermons, it was Song of Solomon. That's what he preached from, canticles. His, great, his famous sermon in his lifetime was, was Heaven is a World of Love. It's about God's love coming down and, and visiting us. So today, I want, you know, I want, I'm, I'm, I want you guys and ladies, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to open your heart today and, and receive this word from the Lord. I am his work of art. It's beautiful. And he, he's doing a, a unique work in your life that he's doing in no one else. Totally unique. Just as, you know, God is, he is infinite, he is eternal, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he knows everything, he can do all things. There's no limitations with God. And his creativity is, is unlimited. His, his creativity is like a vast ocean without a bottom, without a top. It's unlimited, his creativity. And he wants to begin to release and display and declare his creativity for his glory in your life and through your life. 
It's beyond your wildest imaginations. Take the limitations off. God can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what you can ask or think in proportion or according to his power, to his glory, to his spirit that's working within your life. Shockingly. So here we are. Let me read some of this stuff that I have here for you. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This word study called Lo and Nita, it says, it says in that um, word study, it says this word means we are what he has made, physically and spiritually. God created you uniquely. You know, you can look around and see his unique creativity in all of us. You know, our different shapes and, and sizes and colors and, and just the different twists that he's done. God is a creative genius. You, need to go to, you go to the zoo and start looking for his creativity. God is a funny God, and he's made some funny creatures. He's made some funny human beings, some that are stunningly beautiful and some that are creative, you know. <laughs> but he's an awesome artist. And um, so, I, you know, thinking about this, I, I remember um, one of the early, when pa- Paris and I were really, really young, I was probably 20, 26, Paris was 21, or about that time. It might have even been before that. I might have been... 23 and she might have been 18. It was one of the first times we met Dick Mills. And um, Dick ministered and he called Paris out and he gave her this word, Ephesians 2.10. And he spoke to her. He said, you are his work of art. You're his poetry. And, um, you know, I, I, remember, I remember that. It's, it's clear as that it stood out to me that, and, and, you know, the Lord began to, to speak to me and has been all throughout these years, you know, that God's doing beautiful things in all of us. He's doing, if you're, if you're a, 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 a Christian husband and wife, God is doing incredible things in your partner. And many times, it's right there before our eyes, and we miss it. His work of art. His work of art in your partner. You might think that you're the one that has to have all the answers and all the decisions and all the hearing, whatever it is, but God is doing something special in your partner's life. Now, here's the, here's the word study from, it's from the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. It's actually Dick Mill's word study on this particular word, workmanship, poema. It says, to make. This word signifies that which is manufactured, a product, a design produced by an artisan. A design produced by an artisan. That's what this word poema is about. Poema emphasizes God as the master designer and the universe as his creation. Shocking. You begin to open your eyes. I mean, it's like we walk around like this, but in just a moment of time, and it's, it's the anointing that opens our eyes. It's His Word and His Spirit opens our eyes, and suddenly you become aware, whoa, like Jacob did that first night when he left his home and he was running for his life. And he laid down, his pillow was a rock that night, and, and the, he had a dream, and he saw the ladder that went from heaven to earth, and, and, and he was caught up in the visions of God. I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham. And I am the God of Isaac. And he began to prophesy over Jacob. And Jacob awoke from his sleep. And what he said was shocking. He said, surely the presence of God was in this place. And I didn't know it. This place shall be called Bethel, the house of God. Well, you know what? Every place you go is Bethel. Every place your house, 
this church, your car, the place you work, the place you go for enjoyment and recreation. Every place is the house of God. And when he begins to just peel back the, the scales over our eyes, we begin to behold his glory. We begin to see, whoa, God's workmanship is beyond anything I could have ever imagined. His sky is beautiful. His stars are incredible. His creatures are beyond anything I'd ever thought. His plants, his ways of provision, the way he set the, the solar system in place, the way he set the universe in place, it's past any human comprehension. His works are amazing. So creation, it says in Romans 1.20, is a grand display of his artistry, of his poetry. For it, this, is, this is an amazing verse. Listen to this verse from the Apostle Paul. His invisible attributes. Everyone say his invisible attributes. Namely, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen Paul said the invisible things have been clearly seen, not with these eyes here, but with the eyes of our hearts. The invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature can be clearly seen by the Spirit of God and by his word. God's eternal attributes, God's eternal power. He is able to do whatever needs to be done. His kingdom power is beyond comprehension. He wants to do something amazing in your life. Amazing in your life. See, so he says, um, he goes on to say, they've been clearly seen, his divine attributes and his eternal power, his divine nature, they've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things which have been made so that they, everyone, the outsiders, the Gentiles at that time, they're without excuse because God's glory is seen everywhere. It's all around us. Now the greatest display of, you know, that's creation is it's the, it's the purpose of creation. You know, I learned, I learned this. This was a, a shocking discovery to me. I read the book, The End for Which God Created the Earth by Jonathan Edwards. I read that probably in 1995. It changed my theology like a, a, it was a radical life change for me. I began to see that, that man, and let me put it more specifically, that I wasn't the center of the universe. It was a shocking revelation to me. I began to see that God was the center of the universe. That his glory, that, that everything that is, whether it was a, was a little spider that's crawling in the spider web or a bird flying in the sky or a, a, a meteor or, or the sun or a, an earthquake or revival in the nations, visitation of God. It was all about God displaying the, his greatness and his beauty. Everything around us. That's, what, that's the point of creation. Creation is not just a place for us to live, even though it is. It's a place to show what he's like. His eternal power, his eternal attributes are clearly seen in it, in creation. So, um, but, you know, beyond that, beyond his eternal attributes, the greatest display of his glory, beyond anything that's seen in creation, is the work of redemption. Redemption. The purpose of redemption is to display the glory of his grace, to show what God is like, to show that God's a lover. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
God loves you. He loved you when, you when you hated you. God loved you when you hated him. God loved you when you hated everybody. God ha- loved you when you were in pride and rebellion and in, in all sorts of blasphemous behavior. God loved you and loved you and loved you and loves you still. God so loves the world and he's revealed what he's like in this incredible person that came and lived among us. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, God displayed the beauty of what he's like, the radiance of his glory displayed in the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the glorification of this incredible man who rules all things by the word of his power. He is the king of glory. He is the radiance of the Father. And his redemptive work is all about, all about, all about, all about displaying his glory. Redemption. Paul said it in Ephesians 1, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What for? That I should be holy and without blame. He chose the the worst. He chose the sinners of the sinners, the scum of the earth. He chose that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to be adopted as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. That's just saying just because he wanted to. Just because he wanted to show his love in your life. What for? for the, so, the, so the glory of his grace could be praised. So that people would look. I know that horrible person. Look at the change in their life. Oh my gosh. What is that? Christ has changed their life. Jesus has not only forgiven them, God, Jesus has changed them and made them into a different kind of person. They're no longer mean. They're actually kind. They're no longer stingy. They're actually generous. They're no longer using profane words. They're, they're, using, they're using sweet, kind language. Something has been trans- and they're transformed in their very nature. What is that about? It's about the, the display of the glory of God in human beings. That's what your testimony is. He goes on in verse 6 and 7 to talk about this to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us with in the Beloved. Oh yeah, that's the Father's name for His Son. He's the Beloved, my, my, the Son of my love, my Beloved. Shemasta, he's my, he's my Son. I've loved Him from eternity. He became a man to redeem fallen mankind. He is my Beloved. And he's redeemed mankind, that mankind could be in him. And they could become my beloved. They could become my sons and my daughters. That I could show her my love on them. Bless us in the beloved. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. John said it like this. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. To show the glory of his name. To display the glory of God's name. God gave examples of this in the Bible. Paul actually said that his life was a, was a prototype. His life was an example, a display of God's glorious grace. Paul said that he was the, the chief of sinners. You know, that, that's an amazing thing. That's the grace of God for every, every, anyone to say that because most of the time we spend our time t- trying to convince people that we weren't really that bad. Rather than coming to, to the stark real, realization that you are, you are a horrible person, you are a miserable person in need of the grace of God. Paul came to, to grips with that, recognized that he was a, a sinner, not only a sinner, the, the chief of sinners. 
and that the transformation in his life wasn't because of him or about his studies, about his, his genealogy, but it was about God, about Christ, about the grace of God. God saved him to display his grace. And it's what, the, it's what the Bible is about. You know, we think of the stories in the Bible of God's grace. We think of the, the thief on the cross. He was saved at the last moment of time. He lived his whole life a miserable life. In a moment of time, in his, as he was hanging there, dying, his blood was spilling out of his body, God came, touched his life, and began his work of art in this thief on the cross. God's poetry seen in a fallen, miserable creature. That's the glory of God. The executioners that were around there laughing and mocking as, as Jesus was hanging there on the cross, blood pouring from his body. He looked around and he saw the, the very men that had whipped him, the men that had spit on him, the men that had cursed him and made fun of him, suddenly coming under conviction at the foot of the cross. And the, the Lord Jesus began to cry out on the cross, Father! Father, don't hold this sin to their charge. It's the grace of God. God's grace being displayed in his life and in his death. God's life being displayed. You know, God wants to glorify himself. He, he wants to glorify himself in your life. He does, does it through, one of the ways he does it is through answered prayer. John fifteen seven. he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, You'll ask what you want. You ask what you desire. It'll be done for you. And by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit so you'll be my disciples. Well, if creation is about the glory of God and if redemption is about the glory of God, then my life, the worse it was, the greater opportunity for God's greatness to be seen in me. Wow, instead of, instead of being ashamed of, of how miserable a person I was, we can boast in what we used to be for the glory of God. God wants to display his greatness in miserable human beings, in Mary Magdalene's, in gathering demoniacs, in blasphemers, and murderers, and prostitutes, and adulterers, and thieves, and politicians. He wants to display his glory through fallen creatures for his name's sake, for the glory of his name. Now, in the ministry of Jesus, one of the great ways he displayed his glory every day, I love this. You know, this, that's why, that's, this, this, this builds me up because anytime I have a problem now, whether it's problems in finances, problems in my health, problems with my children, problems in my church, problems, whatever it might be, it's an opportunity for God to display His greatness. And the more miserable the situation, the more great the opportunity is for the glory of God to be seen and displayed. Oh yeah, this is in Matthew 15. It says, great multitudes came to Jesus, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, and the maimed. You wonder what the maimed were. Maimed. People's lives. If you're, if you're maimed, you're in a miserable situation. So these are the people that came to him. They were lame, blind, mute, and maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, 
and the blind seeing. What was their response? They glorified the God of Israel. Oh God, the whole earth. Lord, you said in the last days before the return of your son, the whole earth would be filled with your glory. Lord, is it possible that this might be the kind of glory that's going to be seen? Lord, the lame walking, the maimed heels. Oh God, is this possible that you're going to save the, the worst of the worst and heal the worst of the worst? Lord, for the sake of the glory of your name. It's kind of like what the apostles prayed when they were, they were trembling in fear after they'd been threatened by the, by the Sanhedrin. They went back to the church in Acts chapter 4. Oh God, oh God, fill us with boldness. Lord, that we won't be afraid of their threats. You heard their threatenings. Fill us with boldness that we can declare your word, that you would stretch forth your hand to display signs and wonders and the glory, Lord, for the honor of the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that your Son can be glorified. And that's what happens. God is glorified in the midst of miserable circumstances. By his testimony. This is the, the testimony I wanted to share with you earlier. You know, my, no, many of you know, who have been in our church for a while, you know my friend Steve Solomon. He's been our friend for, since 1995. One of my best, best of friends. I've talked to him almost every day. And um, those of you that have been around and been here, he had, he was diagnosed two months ago with brain cancer, the worst kind, I can't pronounce, even pronounce the name of it, the worst kind of brain cancer that you can have. And um, they operated on it, said they got over 50% of it, less than 90% of it. And that um, they thought that was a good thing. They said that um, they wanted to, to give him chemo and radiation. And if they did, they could extend his life maybe a year and a half. So he said, no, I don't think we're going to do that. Well, he went, he's been, you know, just following God's direction. I'm not going to get into the long story of what, what he's been doing. But he went, two months later, he went back for a PET scan. Got the results the day before yesterday. And they told him they cannot find any active cancer cells anywhere, anywhere in his body. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. There's no active cancer cells anywhere in his body. Awesome. What an awesome thing. Now, who understands? You know, you know this, this is one of the, I remember, you know, my, the early days of my conversion and one of the people that I used to listen to on the radio all the time was, was of course, you know, one of our heroes of the faith that's gone before us, Catherine Kuhlman. She, we used to listen to her all the time on the radio. And, and you know, she'd say it again and again. And she, in her books, she'd say it. You know, we, we've, I've read her books, watched her in video, listened to her on the radio every day as a young Christian. And, and she'd say over and over again, the first thing I'm going to ask Jesus when I get to heaven is why they all weren't healed. That's, she said, I have no, under, I don't know why that is. Why some get healed and some don't. And, and, and there's no answer. We don't have the answer for that. We don't have the answer for that. We've just got to, we've got to trust in the Lord God, lay our hands on the sick, stand on God's promises, and just see, see what happens. But at the end of the day, the worst case scenario for the, for the Christian becomes the best case scenario because you can either stay here for a while and, and be a testimony or you can go enjoy his reward and his inheritance for all eternity. Really, at the end of the day, it makes no difference. 
But I am persuaded that we are yet, I've said this a hundred times, I'll say it a thousand times, I am persuaded that Jesus has saved his best for last. He has saved the best wine for the last day. And if you believe the signs are gathering on the horizon for the soon coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he saved the best for last. There's going to be a display of his glory, of salvation coming to the worst of the worst in the city of New Orleans. A a wave of conversion of the lost, of people on drugs and alcohol. We see it, we see it, yeah, but I'm talking about multiplied hundreds of times and thousands of times. An unprecedented wave of undeniable Holy Ghost salvation. Who's he going to work through? Who does he have? He doesn't have much to work with. All he has is a little boy with a little lunch. But Lord, I want to be your little boy. I don't have much, God, but what I have. So you might think he's got to have to use somebody else. I don't have much. Oh no, you're God's little boy. You're God's little girl. He wants to work through inconspicuous, insignificant nothings. Because the smaller you are, the greater his glory is seen in your life. So he wants to restore he wants to restore the <laughs> he, wants to, he wants to restore, destroy Shema Kesta, restore destroyed lives. <laughs> Not destroy restored lives. He wants to restore destroyed lives. Psalm 23. He, he, <laughs> he makes me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. If you laid down lately, maybe it's time to be still, little sheepy, and lay down. Instead of running around trying to run the, run the shepherd pasture and control everything, just take a break and lay down in the green grass for a while. <laughs> he leads me beside the still waters, and he restores my soul. <laughs> he restores destroyed lives. You know, this world destroys people. Politics destroys people. Finances, it can destroy people. Health problems, it destroys people. Marriage problems brings destruction into our our lives and our families. But God is the restorer. He restores and heals our broken lives and brings new fruit for for the glory of His name. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Why? Why? For the glory of His name. For the glory of His name, for His name, that the nations can declare the glory of God. Look what God has done. Look what God has done. Look what God has done. Oh God, show your glory in this city. Show your glory in New Orleans, Lord God. For the sake of your name. Oh God, people laugh and mock about this city as being the city that care for God. You mention it, Mardi Gras is the first thing in their mouth. Oh God. Would you come and visit New Orleans, Louisiana, with Kibroste Kamasa, and show the glory, Lord God, of redemption. Show the glory of forgiveness of sins, from deliverance from the power and the snares of sin, for the glory of your name, oh God. Thank you, Lord God. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Oh, yeah, let, let, just, just, just let this be a prayer. Pray this with me right now. He makes me, say this with me, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Yeah, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Thank you, Lord. And then this last verse, I want to read Psalm 31.3. The guidance. You know, maybe you don't know which way to turn, what to do, what not to do. There's so many voices. We don't need to listen to voices. Other people don't hear from God for you. You know, when you get a word of prophecy, it should be a word of confirmation. I'm sure God's been speaking to Jessica. I gave her a word earlier. I'm sure God's been speaking to her, and he's confirming what he's saying in her life. Don't depend on other people to hear from God for you. It's the whole New Testament thing. God speaks to us today through his son. He confirms it through the brothers and sisters around us. So God's guidance and God's guidance, he guides us for his glory. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, for the glory of your name, lead me and guide me. Yes, show your glory, Lord. God, lead my life. Lord, you have a plan. You have a good plan for my life. God, shikabraste. You know, God, you know, God's not playing hide and seek with his plan for you. He's not. He wants to, he wants to do it and he'll, he'll order your steps. What does it take? It just takes a little crack. Just to come before him. Lord, I open my heart. I yield myself. Lord, let your plans, let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your will be done. I open my heart, my God. And then the second part of that is willing to do what he says. (laughs) Just take a simple step. Sometimes what he says is a little scary. If it's, the scarier it is, it's for the the glory of his name. You know, I shared a blog this week. I'll close with this little story and we'll pray for people. One of the blogs was the first time I had to get up and speak publicly as a Christian. We had a, when I went to Bible school, we had a, um, I guess it was a custom. They had all the new people that came in through that first semester would have to get up in one of the services and testify about their salvation experience. That was the scariest thing on earth to me. I mean, I'd rather take a beating or something. You know, I hate it. I was terrified they were going to call me. And one Sunday night just before service, one of the elders inter- intercepted me as I was headed into the sanctuary. And he said, oh, tonight you're going to get up and share your testimony. I, I absolutely panicked. And those of you know, read my blog, you know what's next. I, I ran as fast as I could to the men's room and threw up my dinner into the, into the men's toilet or whatever it was. I was petrified, terrified. And I don't, I don't even remember what happened. I went out and, you know, was able, somehow got through that moment, got through that moment of moments. But when the Lord called the last thing on earth I thought he should do in my life, was call me to be preacher. First of all, I hated preachers. Second of all, I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't like crowds. I didn't want to be in front of anybody. And you know, that part of me still exists today. Dread coming out here and talking to people in front of crowds. it's It's not like, oh man, I'm excited about this. God has a plan for your life. It might not look like you thought it should look. It might not be what you thought it should be. And probably if you really want this microphone really badly, it's probably not his plan for your life. <laughs> it's when you don't want it that he puts it in your hand. That's the, that's the scary thing. He puts it in the hands of people that don't want it. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at www.victoryfellowship.net for service times and for more information.